welcome to the Cedar Fort Come Follow Me Made Easier podcast. I'm your host, Linda Cherry. We thank you for joining us each week. We want to remind you to subscribe on the subscription link below this video and also to click the bell next to it so that you receive an email each time a new video is posted. This week we're studying Genesis 37 through 41. I hope that you've been noticing the emphasis on priesthood and on covenant in all of our studies thus far. Why is that important for us to recognize? We believe and teach that as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we have access to the same covenants, the new and everlasting covenant that was given to our father, Adam, our mother, Eve, and to all the patriarchs and matriarchs who went before us. This covenant is the same covenant that Abraham, called the father of the faithful, made with our father in heaven, and by which we are all blessed, and in which Abraham was promised that all the families of the earth would be blessed. The covenant is activated through the priesthood, and we've noticed that each of these righteous patriarchs yearned for the priesthood and sacrificed their own uh, will or um, our selfishness in order that they might hold the priesthood and bless others in the name of the priesthood. This priesthood is associated with the birthright for which all of these sons seem to be so eager to receive. Some of the sons that we have read about view the birthright simply as a matter of land and inheritance of flocks and money and goods. Um, and invariably, those were the ones who did not receive the, pre the uh, birthright priesthood blessing, uh, even though they might have been the oldest or the firstborn son. This has caused contention through the ages uh, when people like Esau, uh, as we're told in the scripture, that Esau despised his birthright. He evidenced that by marrying outside of the covenant and treating the covenant lightly. Uh, therefore, he did not receive the birthright, but his younger brother or his younger twin brother, Jacob, was given the birthright blessing instead. Now, while Esau viewed the birthright as a matter of goods and land, uh, he really ended up not needing to worry because when Jacob left their father's home, he left empty handed. In fact, he had no bride price for his wives, Rachel and Leah, which led to some challenges with their father, Laban. But Esau remained back at home with his father um, and his mother. And Esau himself also became wealthy um, as promised in his blessing from his father, um, Isaac, that he would have an abundance and including an abundance of children uh, who we refer to as the Edomites. In any case, although Jacob left empty handed to go back to Haran to marry within the covenant, uh, by the time that he had finished uh, serving his father-in-law Laban, when Jacob was returning back to the promised land, uh, Jacob had all of the abundance that comes with the promise of the birthright blessing. And he shared that abundance with Esau, sending gifts to Esau ahead of himself and his family. This is so important for us to understand uh, what that birthright priesthood leadership was. And we look to our Savior, Jesus Christ, who was the firstborn son and the birthright son of our father, um, for the example of what a birthright priesthood leader is. 
Jesus was given everything by the Father, including great power and glory. He was the creator of this earth in partnership with our Father. Um, yet nevertheless, in order to fulfill the Father's will, Jesus set aside his godhood that he had achieved in the pre-mortal world so that he could light the path and, and perform the atonement to bring redemption unto all of his siblings. And so we will see that um, in today's story about Joseph, uh, Joseph is uh, following in the pattern of the Savior, or we might say he is foreshadowing the Savior's mortal ministry in that although Joseph is cast out um, and is an exile in a foreign land, even as, if you will, Jesus becomes exiled from his godhood in the pre-mortal life in his condescension to come to earth, uh, that Joseph maintains all of his covenants and, in fact, fulfills a mission to see to the welfare of others. Uh, he sees to the welfare of the Egyptians, that's obvious, but he also specifically uh, is sent ahead by God to bring life and salvation to his family of Israel, which Joseph will point out to his brothers as we read the story of their reunion later, um, and they are filled with grief and guilt over their uh, behavior towards Joseph, and yet they acknowledge and even they recognize that uh, even as Joseph had dreamed that they would bow before him, they do that, in fact, but that Joseph is is performing his birthright priesthood leadership duty in seeing to their needs and taking care of them. It's important for us to see that in light even of what we understand about the law of consecration, where in the early days where um, the saints were living the law of consecration, they understood that they gave their all um, to the bishop, but then the bishop gave them back according to their needs and their wants. And this would have been the duty of the birthright son. Yes, he received a double inheritance uh, of a portion of the lands and the goods of his father, but it was understood that he was going to use that in order to see to the needs and wants of all of his family members. And so as we read about the family of Israel, this is Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel when he made the covenant with the Lord. Um, and had 12 sons, which represent our 12 tribes of Israel. We will talk about that in more detail as we go forward. Um, that, uh, that we will see that um, each of those sons, uh, in their own way, were given their opportunity to seek a relationship with the Lord and to have their own uh, opportunity to make a covenant with the Lord. And it was Joseph who uh, fulfilled that role. It was Joseph in a very natural way that came forward to show that. So that even though we have a play, and I love the play too, Joseph and the amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Uh, the play says that um, Joseph received that coat, which was a mark of the uh, birthright priesthood leadership role, that he received that coat because he was uh, the son of his father's favorite wife. Well, that's not really true, as I hope that we will see that um, Joseph received the coat um, as a mark of his personal righteousness. Now, how did this come to pass? Joseph is one of the youngest sons of, 
of Father Israel. Uh, again, Father Israel is Jacob, and um, he is one of the youngest sons of uh, Father Israel, and yet he receives this uh, birthright blessing. It is true that it's pretty obvious that um, Joseph is Jacob's favorite son, but perhaps he is um, Jacob's favorite son because he is so obedient. In fact, even in the um, terrible day when Joseph is uh, taken by his brothers and sold into slavery, uh, he, he is still um, sort of foreshadowing the mission of the Savior Jesus Christ, that when his father calls on him to go and check up on his brothers who are tending the flocks, Joseph's immediate answer is, here am I. Uh, just even as the Savior used that exact sentence when the father said, whom shall I send? Uh, the Savior said, um, here am I, send me. And uh, we knew that the Savior would follow the Father's plan to exactness. In fact, even to the point that it is said that, that Jesus himself said that if we had seen Jesus, we had seen the Father because he aligned his will so perfectly with the Father. And it's implied in this scripture uh, in Genesis that Joseph was very much like that, uh, that he uh, was very obedient to his father. And um, even though we will see some naivete on his part, um, that nevertheless, when his father calls him forth um, to, to go and uh, journey to, to see after the sheep and how things are going with his brothers, Joseph's response is, here am I. Now, we might wonder about some of the older brothers and uh, why didn't they receive the uh, birthright? And I don't want to hit this too heavily um, because I would rather focus on the positive side that of how Joseph earned that birthright rather than how others lost it. But it might be worth mentioning specifically the eldest son, Reuben, um, who lost the birthright, and it's recorded in the scriptures that he lost the birthright because he defiled his father's bed. Now, what does this mean? Um, Reuben slept with his father's uh, concubine wife, Bilhah. Bilhah was Rachel's handmaiden, and this occurred after Rachel's death. And we have to marvel at such an act. After all, Bilhah is the mother of um, Reuben's half-brothers as well, and uh, we recoil at just even thinking about this. There's another story in the scriptures very similar, and it's the story of King David's son Absalom, who when he was trying to usurp the kingdom from his father David, um, he constructed a tent up on the top of the palace roof and slept with his father's wives and concubines. It was an ancient way of saying, uh, I'm taking over from you, and it was also a sign of terrible disrespect for the father. Um, after Reuben would have uh, slept with, with Bilhah, and we can only imagine that it is against her will, uh, it would make it so that the marriage between uh, uh, Jacob and Bilhah would never be intimate again. Uh, it's a heartbreaking story, and it did indeed break uh, the heart of uh, Leah uh, Reuben's mother, and also Jacob, uh, that Reuben had performed this act. And again, as I mentioned, that uh, Reuben's patriarchal blessing, and also the author of Chronicles, um, say that Reuben lost the birthright uh, for this reason. Now, we're going to see in this story um, some changes in Reuben, and I hope that's 
that uh, we notice that as well. And, and that we, I hope that we uh, remember to, to pick that up that uh, in fact, it is Reuben who uh, tries to save uh, Joseph from the brothers killing him. Uh, Reuben has a plan that if they put uh, Joseph in the pit, um, instead of killing him, that Reuben has the plan that he's going to come back and rescue Joseph from the pit and take him back home to their dad. And then um, next week, we'll also be discussing that it is Reuben who offers himself as a ransom um, for Benjamin's life uh, when the, the brothers go back to Egypt and meet with Joseph. Um, also, Judah will also offer himself as a ransom, which is important. Uh, to see both of these brothers playing this role because both brothers play a role in um, Joseph's exile. Um, and why do I point this out? I just always want to make sure that we understand that uh, that people are human beings. I know this is something that uh, our host, our, our co-teacher, uh, Lori Denning, uh, points out in her book as well. And that um, we do see people doing bad things in the uh, scriptures, but we also rejoice when we see a change of heart and a change in behavior. So we've discussed about how Reuben lost the birthright. We should probably also touch on the fact of Simeon and Levi uh, also losing the birthright. Although again, to make the point of the opportunity for repentance and a change of heart, uh, Levi, although he partic participates in something quite dreadful uh, as recorded in the book of Genesis, uh, later though, it's Levi's tribe that has the blessing and opportunity to administer in the Aaronic priesthood. So uh, Simeon and Levi uh, have a sister named Dinah, who is abducted by a prince of one of the neighboring Canaanite cities uh, of, the, uh, of where Jacob and his family are living. And uh, Shechem, the, uh, the prince who abducts uh, Dinah and uh, defiles her, as the scripture says, he actually falls in love with her and, um, and, and wants to do the honorable thing. And Shechem, uh, who is a prince of the city, and his father come to Jacob and to Jacob's sons and say, we want to, we want to marry Dinah. And in fact, they offer a bride price for Dinah and, um, and offer a, 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 co a covenant relationship. Now, not to be mistaken uh, with the covenant, the new and everlasting covenant, but a bond of friendship and peace with Jacob's family. And um, Jacob is uh, is fairly open about accepting that um, that bond of friendship and uh, Dinah's marriage to Shechem, um, but Simeon and Levi uh, lay a terribly um, dastardly plan, uh, and they suggest to Shechem and his father. Uh, that in order to marry within their covenant family, the family of Israel, that all of the men in the, that city must first be circumcised uh, in order to honor the Israelite covenant or the covenant of Abraham. And Shechem, with, uh, with good intentions, and his father uh, agree to this. And um, so all of the men in that city are circumcised so that they can have an honorable marriage with Dinah and an honorable uh, treaty and friendship with Jacob and his family. Um, and then as they are recovering, um, and we can only imagine how difficult that recovery might be, uh, Simeon and Levi come in and kill all of the men in the city. And in fact, 
take their wives and children and all of their treasure. And Jacob is horrified by what they've done. When we think about this family's charge through father Abraham was to bless all of the families of the earth or all of the nations of the earth. And right so much at the beginning of uh, the Abrahamic promise and just a couple of generations in, we have this horrible genocide take place. Um, and with the trickery of saying that it's in the name of being associated with a covenant family, uh, we can only imagine Jacob's grief over it. Again, this is reflected in the patriarchal blessings that Jacob will give to Simeon and Levi, and um, he will for, refer to them as um, instruments of cruelty. And so this is very sad. We also read a sad story about uh, Judah and uh, a relationship that he has with his uh, daughter-in-law, Tamar. Um, poor Tamar uh, is married to uh, one of Judah's uh, sons. Uh, Judah has three sons uh, through a non-covenantal marriage with a Canaanite wife. And um, the first son is so wicked that the Lord strikes him dead. According to the ancient custom, Levitical law, I can never say that correctly. Um, and I apologize for that. Uh, then um, Judah's second son should be obligated to marry Tamar and to raise their first son um, after the uh, the name of the elder brother who had died. And so Tamar is married to the second son, and he too is so wicked that um, the Lord kills him. And so now by right, Tamar should be given to Judah's youngest son. But Judah delays, and in fact, he sends Tamar back to her father's home, which is in essence, um, in a way, Judah is uh, putting aside his own duty as the patriarch of the family to at least have Tamar in his home and to provide for her. Uh, he sends her back to her father's home with an empty promise that when the youngest son is old enough, he will um, marry her to the youngest son. But in fact, he sort of superstitiously thinks Tamar might um, have something to do with the deaths of his other sons and doesn't want his last to die. So Tamar is in an untenable situation in ancient times when a woman is a widow specifically sent back to her father's house. She is very much in a no man's land of not being able to move forward uh, in life in any way and, and most especially not to be able to become a mother and to raise a family. Um, and so she's in a very difficult situation. She's frustrated that Judah has not um, honored his promise to her. And so she lays a plan. Um, Judah's wife um, has died and uh, Judah's going to come out to, to see to some of his flocks and property. And so she dresses herself as a harlot and sits by the side of the road. Uh, Judah stops and makes a deal with her that um, if she will sleep with him, he will give her a goat of his flock. And But he doesn't have a goat with him right then. And so uh, she asks for his signet ring and for his staff and for a bracelet um, so that she can have those as, um, as sort of a, a, a promise that he's going to send that goat to her. And so after they are together, um, Judah goes 
sends a servant with a goat to find her, but that servant can't find her. And so she keeps the signet, the staff and the bracelet. And about three months later, someone comes telling Judah, oh, your daughter-in-law Tamar has played a whore. She is pregnant. And Judah, full of righteous indignation, uh, says that she's to be brought to him, that he is going to burn her for her sin. And uh, when she's brought before him, uh, she, he asks, who is the father of, of the child who has accompanied her in this sin? And, and she brings um, out those um, tokens he had given her. And to Judah's credit, um, he is filled with quite a bit of remorse. And in fact, he says that Tamar has been more righteous than he has. And um, he provides for her child. And in fact, uh, interestingly enough, uh, is through that posterity that Boaz comes, Boaz who married Ruth, and therefore King David and Jesus Christ comes through that line. So we see that the Lord um, puts this seal of approval upon Tamar, that she, as Judah said, that um, that Tamar had been more righteous than he had. And, and Tamar, like Ruth, who will come later, um, Tamar is a... Um, uh, a woman who is born outside of the covenant, but is brought into the covenant, even though through a most uh, unusual way. We have five women, by the way, in uh, Jesus's genealogy who have these sort of questionable stories that are associated with them. And I think it's really important for us to contemplate what it is that the Lord is teaching us by um, sort of giving generous uh, acknowledgement to these women who might have been misused um, and uh, yet now have this beautiful gift of having the Savior come through their posterity. So um, on to Joseph. And uh, so uh, Joseph uh, is given right, uh, right from the beginning as we tell his story. He's 17 years old and he's his father's favorite. Uh, his brothers hate him because he's his father's favorite. He also does come tattle on them uh, when they've been up to no good. And, and that's never a good way to start a relationship with others. Again, it's really important for us to recognize how much younger he is um, than his um, older brothers as we contemplate this story and the things that had happened. And um, Jacob gives uh, Joseph a very special coat. Uh, in the scriptures, it's called a coat of many colors, but in fact, uh, in the Hebrew, that word many is, uh, stri is stricken out. It's not many colors. It can be interpreted both as a coat of colors, uh, a coat of leathers. Um, it also can be um, uh, referred to as a kutinet, uh, which is a symbol of priesthood leadership. Um, only kings and priests in ancient days wore this kind of coat, and it is the exact same name used for uh, the, the uh, priest's, the high priest's robe in much later days um, under Moses. Um, the high priest's garment is also called a kutunet. Uh, to make things even more interesting, uh, there are many uh, legends, ancient uh, apocryphal records and rabbinical records that claim that this specific coat given to Joseph uh, was the garment given to Adam, and it would have been the same garment that we discussed 
uh, some weeks ago as having belonged to Noah, the garment that Ham was seeking to take um, so that Ham by right of that garment uh, could give the priesthood to his sons. And again, let's focus for just a few minutes at some of these strange beliefs associated with how one received the priesthood and specifically um, the lack of understanding that seemed to be so um, prevalent amongst these people. Um, first, Ham thinking that just because he had the robe, um, therefore he would have the priesthood power or um, the, um, the sense of the sort of magical um, uh, uh, qualities that seem to become associated um, by some in terms of what they thought that that coat would bring about, that the coat itself had magical properties. For example, some of the ancient documents say that um, this coat worn by both Adam and by Noah um, was something that the animals themselves recognized as belonging to one with priesthood power. And so that even as the animals came and bowed before Adam to receive their names. So by wearing that coat, uh, Noah found peace with the animals uh, within the ark. And, um, and then later, as we see that this coat is destroyed by the brothers, uh, don't we notice that that nevertheless uh, doesn't prevent Joseph from receiving the promised priesthood blessings that the Lord gives those promised priesthood blessings, including the birthright blessing of leadership over the family to Joseph, whether or not he has the coat. But nevertheless, what we must understand is that by giving this coat to Joseph, Jacob is signaling to all of the family that Joseph is going to be the birthright son. And for them at that time, it appears that they see that um, obnoxious in terms of thinking that this much younger brother was going to rule over them. And also the sense that he would get a double portion of the inheritance. And it's worth noting that Jacob has at this point quite an abundance uh, that that inheritance would entail. Um, and, uh, and so they're very jealous. And then to make matters worse, uh, Joseph tells them about his dreams. And in his dreams, they are bowing to him. And even his mother and father are bowing to him. Jacob questions him and, and, and says to him, are you telling us that even your mother and I are going to bow to you? But it tells us that Jacob thought about what, what Joseph had revealed in his dream. Um, but the brothers were terribly incensed. And we have to wonder why would Joseph share these dreams with his brothers who already hated him? And we can only see it kind of as this sense of child, childish naivete uh, that he would do that. Now, as we think about these brothers and the struggle for uh, who gets to be the leader, uh, I hope we're also thinking about the Book of Mormon and Laman and Lemuel um, with Nephi and the sense that uh, Laman and Lemuel were given an equal opportunity to prove themselves uh, to the Lord. Um, they were given many, many chances uh, to take over that leadership role. Um, but also note how Laban and Lemuel had that same sort of focus on treasure and on wealth. 
that um, that we often see, uh, as we've seen already with Esau, and as we see with uh, the, with the brothers here, the sense of the wealth of the family. Whereas Nephi, uh, Nephi tells us in um, in his account that he says, "I'm going to tell you how I became a king and a prophet, or a, a king and a priest over." my family. And then he proceeds to tell us all the same sort of things we're seeing with Joseph, that when Lehi tells Nephi, oh, got to go back and get the plates, uh, Nephi doesn't question it. Um, he's ready to go. I, I will go and do, uh, just even as Joseph's response um, to his father when his father sends him out um, after uh, the flocks and to make sure everything's going well. And um, so I think it's always helpful when we're trying to understand this role of the priesthood and, and birthright in these stories um, to kind of compare them as we see them in the scriptures. And we start to see the pattern and we start to recognize um, when, a, when a son is called to the birthright um, and that invariably he has been showing all along his, um, his uh, desire to let God prevail uh, in his life. And so it is with, with Joseph. And so as we talk about these dreams and that Joseph shares his dreams, it was, uh, he just made his, his brothers all the angrier for that. And um, we have to ask ourselves the question um, as we read the story, we have to say, uh, how do I respond when someone who I feel might be younger than myself or someone um, who I don't think has as many skills as I do? Um, how do I respond when they are called into leadership over me? Am I willing to see the good? Am I willing to learn from um, someone who I think doesn't have the same experience as I do? Um, how is my heart set on being a, a good follower? And then also on the other side of that, when I am called to a leadership role, how do I treat those within my stewardship and care? Um, am I going to offend them in the same way that Joseph offended his brothers? Um, we must always look to our Savior for the example uh, for that. So, um, so the brother, uh, the brothers are out with the flocks, and uh, Jacob has asked Joseph to go to check up on them. And even when he's far off, the brothers devise a plot to kill him. Uh, they said, here comes that dreamer. And they have, um, they've decided that they're going to uh, kill Joseph, and they're going to tell their father that a wild beast has killed him. But as I mentioned earlier, Reuben, Reuben, who has uh, created some, some serious sins, uh, yet Reuben is the one who, with a soft heart here, who um, says, no, let's not kill him. Let's put him in this, uh, in this pit, which is a dry well. And as I uh, shared earlier, Reuben has the plan that he's going to come back and rescue Joseph and take him back to their father. But in the meantime, uh, Reuben seems to go away for some uh, unknown reason. Uh, was he going after flocks or food or something? I don't know. But, but Reuben disappeared for a short period of time. And in that time, uh, Judah notices that there are some Ishmaelites coming who are traders. And he decides, let's sell Joseph. And uh, they sell Joseph for the price of a slave, which is uh, 20 pieces of silver. And what's interesting here is how often uh, Joseph's life foreshadows the life of the Savior, who was also sold 
by Judas, whose name is Judah uh, in the Hebrew, um, for the price of a slave in that day, 30 pieces of silver. And so Joseph is sent away in exile to Egypt, where he is purchased by Potiphar, our Potiphar, um, and um, who is the captain of, of the Pharaoh's guards. And um, the, the brothers take the torn garment. So remember, this is that priesthood garment that has been so valued um, by the generations. The brothers take that um, garment, uh, the coat, and they uh, cover it in blood and they take it to their father, who is nearly blind and tells him that Joseph is dead. And um, Jacob is just um, devastated by this. And so um, off in Potiphar's house, uh, Joseph makes everything within Potiphar's house to prosper. Um, Potiphar is very taken with Joseph and his many skills. And um, so is Potiphar's wife. And she seeks to seduce him day by day. She tries to seduce him. Please notice the important attribute of Joseph, um, who we suspect wasn't much older than 17. Uh, and he is in a strange land with no one to remind him of what the covenant blessings are. And he's been given all of this power in Potiphar's house. And, um, and he is given this opportunity by Potiphar's wife um, to um, throw away his covenant, his covenant promises. But Joseph prevails and Joseph will not uh, sleep with her and um, says that he could never do that great a sin against God. I love this part of Joseph's story. It reminds me so much of Daniel's. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego also taken away captive, probably in their teen years uh, into Babylon, never to see home again, and yet kept all of the um, obligations and duties of the covenant and therefore received the covenant blessings from the Lord. Uh, Daniel's in a lion's den. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in a um, fiery furnace um, because they won't deny God and they won't deny their covenants and God preserves and blesses them. They also see their role, even as Joseph will come to see his role as a role of a person who is sent in advance in order to be able to save and bless their people. This is powerful. And I hope that we can learn from their examples that oftentimes we might feel like we are in exile or we might feel like we are in prison. And I hope that we can learn from Joseph, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and, and recognize that the Lord can use us for his good and for the good of others, if we will allow ourselves to let him use us, or as President Nelson would remind us, to let God prevail. Because Joseph never shows any bitterness or ugliness and never turns his heart away from God, um, we see that he does prosper, but he does not prosper in a way we would typically look for when we are undergoing extreme trials. In other words, because Potiphar's wife was aggravated 
and angered by Joseph's refusal, she makes a false accusation against him, and Joseph is thrown into prison. Some people might say, and this is what I get for keeping the commandments of God, and become bitter and turn their hearts hard. But not Joseph, not Daniel, that even in prison, Joseph is so mindful, so stewardship, ministering, service-oriented, that the, um, the uh, keeper of the prison makes Joseph the lead guy in the prison, and he's taking care of the other prisoners, and the other prisoners come to love and respect him, but he is not released immediately from prison. How would we handle that same situation? Can we learn from Joseph? to maintain our faith, to maintain our covenants, to maintain our desire to serve others and make the best of any situation we're in, to even turn it into a mission so that we can, we can return to God with, a, with our hearts clean and pure before him, even if we're never released. Did Joseph know that he would be released from prison? I don't think so. Um, he was there for years, and yet he still maintained this integrity. So while he is in prison, um, the uh, Pharaoh's butler and baker are brought in, um, and they both have dreams, um, and Joseph interprets their dreams. For one, uh, the Pharaoh is going to um, take him back in three days' time, which indeed happened. For the other, Joseph uh, interprets the dream as Pharaoh is going to put him to death in three days' time, which indeed happened. And Joseph asks the one who is taken back, the, um, the butler, he asks him, please remember me uh, when you are back in service. But in fact, he forgets. And it's not until Pharaoh has his own troubling dream that the butler remembers um, what it is that, um, that Joseph was able to interpret dreams and calls, um, tells the Pharaoh that there is someone in prison who can do this. And Pharaoh calls for Joseph and, um, and Joseph um, comes and he interprets Pharaoh's dream. Uh, that Pharaoh has dreamed of seven years of uh, fat and happy cattle and seven years of skinny cattle, but the skinny cattle eat the fat cattle. And the same with uh, good healthy ears of corn and then uh, wilted poor ears of corn that um, eat or vanquish the, um, the healthy ears of corn. And Joseph interprets that as seven years of plenty, seven years of famine, and he encourages Pharaoh to make a storehouse to store during the years of plenty so that there is food available in the years of famine. And Joseph encourages the Pharaoh and says, find someone who is wise amongst you to be this person who will be the, the steward over these uh, storehouses. And Pharaoh says, can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the spirit of God is? And Pharaoh appoints Joseph to be that steward, second only to Pharaoh in all the land of Egypt. And now when, uh, when Joseph is appointed, he is 30 years old. 
So once again, let's just remember that Jesus began his mission, his ministry at 30 years, and we're going to continue to see um, these, um, these links between Joseph's life and the Savior's life. Joseph marries in Egypt. He marries Asenath, the daughter of the priest of On. And there are a number of rabbinical writings as to how she was um, either a convert into the covenant or whether she was actually a, an extended member of the family through Dinah. Remember when we talked about the story of Dinah marrying Shechem um, and uh, and we don't know what the answer is, but we do know that certainly Joseph, uh, being so committed to his covenants, uh, undoubtedly had a marriage of covenant with Asenath. And through Asenath, uh, Joseph gives uh, Joseph has two sons. The firstborn is Manasseh, and the second is Ephraim. We will see how once again uh, the uh, birthright will not go to the firstborn son Manasseh but the birthright will go to Ephraim. And uh, that's an important story that I uh, hope that we can cover uh, in next week's lesson as to Ephraim receiving that birthright blessing and also Ephraim's role in the latter days. Now, this is really important for us to understand um, in terms of principles, is that Joseph's role foreshadowed um, here even when he was a teen at 17 and he receives the coat. And then as we see his role of saving uh, and blessing his family of Israel in his um, adult years, Joseph's role continues today. This is a blessing given to Joseph's family, to Joseph's tribe, through his father, Jacob, who is Israel. And we read about that patriarchal blessing in Genesis 49 and 50, with particular emphasis on the Joseph Smith translation for both. And that Joseph himself, before his death, prophesies of the role of those who will come after him in his posterity. That Joseph not only will prophesy about a branch from his family that is broken off, that will be fruitful in remembering the covenants of the Lord. We know that branch as Lehi's family, as recorded in the Book of Mormon. And Lehi and Nephi rejoice to recognize that they are the posterity of Joseph and have this all-important role of remembering the covenants, teaching their people about the covenants, and recording about the covenants so that later, through another member of Joseph's posterity, someone who would be named Joseph after his own father, Joseph, even Joseph Smith, those records of the house of Joseph, of one branch of the house of Joseph, might come forward. And as we are told in the title page of the Book of Mormon, one of the main purposes of the Book of Mormon is to remind Israel that they are not cast off forever, and also to remind them of the covenants of the Lord. And so even as we started today in discussing that we have these foundational principles throughout these stories in the Old Testament of priesthood and of covenant, that we are the inheritors 
of those sacred gifts today. We must ask ourselves, do we understand, do we value what the new and everlasting covenant is? Is the priesthood precious to us? Do we understand the gift and the responsibility of the priesthood? Joseph Smith said that a man who had the priesthood could not be content unless he roamed throughout the earth seeking to how he could bless others. And as women who are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we also have access to the blessings of the priesthood. In particular, as we are able to make and keep covenants in the temple of our Lord and to receive an endowment there that endows us with this beautiful knowledge of the covenant and with the powers that are associated with it. My dear friends, the covenant and the priesthood meant everything to Adam and Eve. It meant everything to Abraham and Sarah. It meant everything to Joseph and Emma. And I pray that it will mean everything to us as well. We have a noble heritage. Adam prophesied in the, Adam on, in the valley of Adam on Diamond unto the very last day and unto all of his posterity. And he sought that they might behold the face of God and taught his descendants that the only way that they could behold the face of God was through the covenant and through the priesthood specifically the Melchizedek priesthood, and through the atonement of Jesus Christ. I bear this witness in his holy name, even that of Jesus Christ. Amen. The beautiful allegory of the redemption of the bride tells the story of the house of Israel, her covenant betrothal to Jehovah, her adulterous apostasy from that covenant, and her restoration through his tender mercies and compassion upon her. The title bride applies to both men and women. It is used to denote a special covenant relationship between the individual and God. Israel is an all-inclusive name to indicate God's covenant family, to which all people are invited to belong. Salvation and redemption is an individual affair. Although it is tempting to identify Israel as a nation of people, the scriptural use of the story of the bride as a singular person invites us to explore our own particular relationship with the Lord. The story of Jehovah and his bride is a promise of hope to every individual who fears that they may have strayed too far from the Lord. Although, like the bride, we may have traveled a dark road, his atoning grace and mercy can heal and restore us to a newness of purity and hope. This is God's love story. It is also our story, each one of us. We are the bride of Christ, and he is waiting for us. Our redemption, should we choose it, is at hand. Find it at cedarfort.com.